Hello, and welcome to the Celebrating Women in Psychedelics podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the important work being done by women in psychedelics. I am your host, Sonia Stringer, and I'll be introducing you to women leading psychedelic businesses, women shaping governance and policy, female therapists and doctors, indigenous leaders, researchers, practitioners, women leading nonprofits, and others who are making very important contributions to the psychedelic renaissance. Through our podcast and online community, we're committed to ensuring women have a strong voice in shaping the future of psychedelics, and we're very excited to have you on this journey with us. As traditional plant medicine and psychedelic practices are starting to merge with our Western medical and corporate culture, there are many ethical issues coming to light that must be addressed to preserve the integrity of this work and allow for it to be supported in its full potential. My guest today has dedicated her career to confronting and resolving ethical issues in the psychedelic space. In this episode, we're discussing some very current and critical questions, including what are the main ethical issues facing the emerging psychedelic renaissance and what's needed to resolve them. What skills are needed to be able to effectively work through some of the issues and more importantly, the divisiveness arising between different psychedelic stakeholders and communities. How can we ethically navigate the issue of money in psychedelics? What can we do to ensure women are paid well for the value they create? And why is feminine leadership so important to resolving some of the ethical issues we're faced with? And how can more of us get involved? Join me and my my inspiring guests as we explore the very complicated but important area of ethics and psychedelics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Celebrating Women in Psychedelics. I am your host, and the title of today's show is Ethical Leadership in the Psychedelic Renaissance, Are Women Leading the Way? Joining me is Dr. Sandra Dreisbach. Sandra is an ethicist and psychedelic ethics specialist with a master and a doctorate in philosophy, exploring ethical decision-making and moral psychology, she is an ethics advisor, active in psychedelic integration, education, and advocacy, as well as a psychedelic community leader of the Santa Cruz Psychedelic Society and EPIC, which stands for Ethical Psychedelic International Community. Sandra also teaches bioethics at University of California, Santa Cruz, for the Biomolecular Engineering and Philosophy Departments, has worked for many years in the tech industry, primarily at Apple, and is a Reiki master in two lineages. Sandra, when do you sleep? This is amazing. Sandra. I don't do it all at the same time. Well, it's it's an impressive resume. You also focus, I know, a lot on listening and uplifting the voices and values of the psychedelic community, especially the disenfranchised with the heart, space, and tension of compassion and love. And that so describes who you are. We met, goodness, in August of 2022 in Sacramento. You were there to support SB 519. I was mostly tagging along and trying to be helpful, but it was was wonderful to connect with you. I instantly felt this deep connection to you and your work and wanted to get you here on the podcast to talk more about what you do because it's so important. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Sonia. It's just a joy as always to be with you. And and it was so much fun, you know, advocating. Who knew? 
Yeah, yeah. Who knew walking around Sacramento government halls could actually be a pretty entertaining <laughs> afternoon? Absolutely. Well, please share more of your background because my goodness, what an incredible resume you have and what an amazing opportunity and role you fill right now speaking about ethics in psychedelics. So please share your origin story and how you ended up doing the work you're doing. My origin story. You know, I always feel like I have to tell depending upon what perspective people want to hear it from. To me, people are spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical beings. And so sometimes people want to hear the sort of everyday sense, maybe you could call it the mental sense. I grew up in the Silicon Valley that very much married me to tech in so many ways. Like that was a lot of where my jobs were. That's part of how I ended up working at Apple in tech. Also how I ended up being exposed to psychedelics from a younger age, not necessarily that I was consuming them at that age, there was a sense of it being in the water. <laughs> like, like culturally, like, and it's not an indigenous first per people story. I don't have that connection to land. I should honor and respect the lands that I'm currently on, on Amamutsin tribal lands, their ancestral lineage known as the Alone, on Popeluchum sacred lands in Santa Cruz mountains. So that's where I'm located currently, not too far from where I grew up and born in Southern California. I reflect on it more now than, than I did before. But I think the simplest answer would just be to say for myself personally, spiritually, emotionally, I've always had a heart of service and compassion, whether it's in plant medicine or psychedelics, whether it's in ethical practice or teaching, or whether it's in tech or my volunteer work, which has been a lot, that's been my heart. You know, it brings me joy and mm. it serves me as much as, as I serve. Oh, and I really do want to acknowledge you because I know you have volunteered countless hours of service to the psychedelic community and supporting things like SB 519. So I truly acknowledge your service intentions and just how much you do for the community at large. So let's talk then about ethics. How did you end up studying this and how do you see this relating to all that's happening within the psychedelic renaissance right now? Well, on one level, I could just say that it's just been a part of who I am <laughs> in terms of a formal title. I did get my master's and my, then my PhD, which technically in some ways, I guess it means I have two masters. And in some ways, my path was like a form of denial, at least academically for a long time. I didn't realize that's what I wanted to do because I did a documentary that was about homosexuality. And it was like something I did in high school at a special institute. But it was like everyone has these magic moments where they're like, oh, well, I can actually make a difference or I can actually do something or can create a change. And, and it was through film that I started feeling that. But I was already, you know, doing HIV AIDS advocacy work. So literally, if I look at my life, I mean, even my high school prediction said that I would break up with my boyfriend of three and a half years to become a liberal activist. You know, <laughs> I don't use the word activist as much as I use advocate, but I'm not with him now. And it's true. I spent all my time doing this work. So but an ethicist really is someone who identifies as focusing on ethical practice, the academic training, the PhD and MA PhD in philosophy focused on ethical decision making and moral psychology. The master's portion focused more on metaphysics of morals and my PhD focused more on moral psychology and economic decision theory models. But if you think about it in the psychedelic sense, it's about mindset. But hopefully I bring the heart of psychedelics more forward than anything else. Oh, beautiful. Really impressive. So I know you've had a long history. It's hard not to when you're living in California with psychedelic work. Everywhere from deep in the underground to the very visible work, being in Sacramento and lobbying and supporting the passage of new laws. So what are the main ethical issues you see surfacing in psychedelics right now? You know, when you ask me that question in this moment, my answer actually wants to be ourselves. Oh, interesting. And, and I don't mean it in the sense that we're an issue, mm. in the sense that it always starts with us and knowing ourselves. 
and embodying leadership within ourselves. And being in integrity, knowing what's in alignment creates natural boundaries that are supportive or not, right? There's always a passage of growth and understanding and humility, to be honest. As part of Epic, I hold space for people who are experiencing harm, people who are just trying to make a good decision in a challenging choice. So it's not necessarily something quote unquote bad happened to them. It's about the journey. That's why it's Epic, right? It's not just one journey. It's not just one experience. It's our lives. And being in integrity and doing work in psychedelics as it is in our own lives is really about being in that that true integrity with yourself, being your highest self, you can call it that, being in alignment. And for me, it's hard alignment and also recognizing the freedom of others to do the same. Beautiful. Well, it seems like one of the main tension points in the space, and obviously for those of you listening who understand psychedelics or have been around this for a long time, this is not news, but in case you're new to the space, the psychedelic work in general has a lineage spanning thousands of years. There's all kinds of sacred ceremonies and ways in which indigenous people use plant medicines to heal their communities and to advance their own understanding and consciousness. And then here we are with this new corporate model, this new medical model that seems to be taking shape. And there's a lot of tension within the various communities Obviously, people who've been really invested in this for a long time have strong opinions, more traditional views. This new medical and corporate wave of opportunity is really in some ways creating some conflict with that. But what I see, and I was really curious to hear your opinion on, is not just the diverse opinions, but the acrimony that seems to be surfacing within discussions. And I saw you in a signal group diffuse a situation that was truly going off the rails. There was a discussion going on and very strong opinions being voiced about certain things. And sadly, I was seeing what I see a lot within the psychedelic communities, and that is people really digging into their opinions and not listening and a lot of judgment and strong beliefs being voiced, but without a lot of progress being made in terms of people understanding each other or finding a way to move forward. And I saw you handle that with so much grace, Sandra. It really impressed me. So I'm curious from your ethical standpoint and the frameworks you've learned about ethical decision-making, how can we have conversations and work through some of this divisiveness in a way that could be a lot more progressive? Well, I guess I'm going to go back to the answer to the last question, which seems circular, but it really does start with us. You know, it starts with our own inner work. If we're divided amongst ourselves, we can't create that outside of ourselves. We haven't healed our own relationships within our own families, within our own communities, it makes it, if not impossible, to to see it outside. And this isn't trying to, you know, spiritually bypass with the sort of find peace within and then you'll find peace outside. Well, there's a deep truth to that because we're all really interconnected. The illusion is that we're separate. And so in terms of advice I would give to people, like the short answer is to basically be attuned to your own heart space. Know how you feel. Like just, just that simple move can shift and move mountains. Well, I've seen you demonstrate such incredible listening skills, even in the face of, you know, some pretty strong opinions and some pretty (laughs) difficult personalities. So I guess that's my hope as people are hashing through their various viewpoints and hopefully things become more integrated in this space. My hope is that people develop more capacity to listen and to honor each other's viewpoints and potentially find value in all of it. That's not always what I see. I do see people really digging in and being attached 
attached to their viewpoint as being the only right way. If we even just go back to that conversation I'm referencing, it was such a difficult conversation. I saw a lot of people in the signal thread bailing because it was just getting too heated. And you managed to stay in the conversation with the person and get it resolved in a particular way. I don't know that it was resolved in terms of everybody being in agreement, but I saw it getting resolved in terms of everyone, I think, feeling heard which I thought was just incredibly skillful and beautiful. So I guess I'm trying to get to how do you approach that? Because there's something in your perception or your come from that I think we can all learn from. I would love to see that expressed more in the whole psychedelic space, if possible. First of all, thank you so very much. And I also realized I didn't properly acknowledge, indeed, so much of the medicine space has been kept by medicine keepers for generations and thousands of years. And we all have lineages that we've been cut off from and colonized from. And maybe this is ironic or not ironic, but that sense of space holding, the phrase that we use in the space, it's not just a metaphor. It's very real. And I like to think of it as, you know, brave heart space. And one of the differences, I think, between people who are able to hold space well is a deeper compassion that the space holding you do in a journey is the same space we hold for each other all the time. Hmm. It's no different. And that's one of the lessons that I've learned and the gifts that I've been given and the things that I've been taught is that that patience that calmness, that compassion for myself and for the other and seeing the other as me. Mm. And for the most part, I mean, some people feel like they are doing something quote unquote wrong, but most of us think we're doing the right thing. I'm not saying that there aren't people who have certain intentions or who are blinded by their own self-interest or by, you know, greed or other things. I see it more as a blindness. It's not that they aren't focused on creating what they want, right? It just doesn't matter what other people feel you know, and even themselves. And for me, that intention towards compassion and love always holds. And in that conversation, if I notice I start to react or shift or get triggered, I stop and I hold space for myself first and notice what's arising. And if I'm in a calm, grounded, peaceful state, I'm able to respond versus react and having the compassion to hold space for him to really share everything that he wanted to say in that moment and to really deeply listen to it and to explore it and take on that perspective. And only from being at your side can I really listen, especially if someone's expressing pain or suffering or harm. And in that particular incident, you know, there was a lot of anger and judgment and pain. And the irony is that we don't hold space very well for anger in our culture. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a place of pain and suffering. Even intentional harm in my mind comes from a place of pain and suffering that hasn't been helped. I know that's a long-winded answer, but the short version is holding that heart space of love and compassion for myself and others. Mm -hmm. And at the end, in terms of how it turned out, I also had a responsibility in that particular container towards the well-being of the people in the group. And so sometimes that means you say no to things and that literally saying, you know, I love you, but no, I respect that you have a different way. I respect that you don't agree, but the space is designed for holding a respectful container. And if you are unable to hold that, I respect that too, but that's what this space is for. And I have accountability too, and that's part of the process, right? But every moment is an opportunity to love ourselves and love each other more deeply. And I really believe that. Beautifully said. And I really do hope 
all of us, myself included, are able to embrace more and more of those qualities of listening and compassion and love. Just like you said, it's not lost on me that in this space that is so about healing, sometimes we're not very kind or healing in our interactions with each other. And I think that's really what everyone's being called to do is to be able to connect and communicate in the most useful ways possible to really advance all the potential that is here. I love that you said that because one thing that often comes up for me, and and maybe it's because of the philosophy training, (laughs) um, I always look to the questions, not necessarily to the answers, but the sense of like, why? Why are you choosing to journey? Why are you in this space? Why are you in this community? What's the reason raison d'etre. Well, it's the reason to be. What's your reason for being? You know, I make mine very pairing. It's about love and compassion. And that's it's obviously an oversimplification because it's a higher aspect, more aligned with maybe like Gandhi's Satyagraha, which has a sort of truth force to it. But often we may set an intention for a journey or for particular work, but what kind of people do we want to become? The idea, at least for me, is that, you know, we become more loving, more compassionate, more supportive people. We create more community. We lean in to the shadow. We don't run away. So if someone's angry, we shouldn't be be running. We should be going towards. Obviously, do not, if you're in any sort of risk of harm or a physical threat, and please get support if you find yourself in a domestic violence situation. I don't mean that. I really mean it in the sense of being willing to be uncomfortable, to be able to have that healing. And it's a choice, right? And we're choosing all the time. That's why I really love the notion of the brave space and the brave heart space. And so some of those tensions that you mentioned earlier about science or about like respecting medicine and things like that are just a revealing. It's a revealing of things that have always been there. My hope is that the leadership, the real psychedelic leadership I see in a space are the ones that hold space, the ones that lean in, the ones that, that show up with compassion and heart and are willing to stay for the right amount of discomfort. Yes, so well said. I completely agree. That courage of heart that's required to stay and lean in even to those uncomfortable moments or interactions, because it's just so easy for all of us to bow out and to not engage and to distract ourselves or ignore the problem or ignore the issues. But truly, they will never be resolved that way. They'll just continue to surface in different forms. So I couldn't agree more to have that capacity to be in the discomfort until eventually things find their way and become a little more comfortable is so required. And I hope we're all up to the task. I certainly see it being demonstrated more and more, but I did want to acknowledge you for that particular instance, because I felt like it was almost a casebook example of how to do it well. And I would love for people to continue to be inspired by that type of conversation and potentially duplicate it in their own lives or businesses, whatever way that shows up. Thank you for saying that. I really yeah. appreciate hearing So I'd like to steer the conversation towards an issue that I know many do consider an ethical issue, and that is the role of money in the psychedelic space. And again, I'm going to speak in very big generalizations, but on one side of the space, we see a lot of investment money coming in, companies being formed, some with perhaps questionable practices in terms of trying to create unfair competition or monopolize a certain part of the marketplace. And I think there's concern, rightly so, that what is perhaps more of a sacred experience is going to become very transactional and that companies may pursue revenues at the expense of quality of care or the experience overall. And then on the other extreme, we both know people 
in communities who've been practicing this for decades. Like we said, it's got a lineage of hundreds and thousands of years, but practitioners and those that have truly dedicated their lives to this work, often at their own legal peril, who view this as sacred work, who give an enormous amount of themselves and their time to it, who either don't charge or certainly don't charge enough for their services. They do absolutely beautiful work, but sometimes are struggling financially. If people aren't being paid or paid well for the work, that becomes its own issue. So I'm curious from your ethical decision-making frameworks, where can we find, I guess, a more centered place with this whole relationship with money in the psychedelic sphere? What insights do you have that might help us navigate that in a more helpful way? Well, actually, I do really try and start with myself. (laughs) And this is a challenge area for me personally, and I will admit that I'm out of balance that I definitely give more energy than I've been receiving. And I've been working through very consciously how to put that back into appropriate balance. I talk about in terms of energy or balance, our energy, our time, our life is a gift. And money is a representation of those energies. In some ways, I want to say it's not about the money, but it is about the money, right? (laughs) Right? We've seen way more examples, unfortunately, at least in Western culture, of misuse and abuse of money, resources, same sort of challenges we were mentioning earlier, right? Extractive mindsets. You know, we don't have to go theoretical about capitalism in and of itself. I know some people feel like that's where it needs to go, but just the idea of, you know, how do we take care of each other? How do we support one another? I was absolutely raised in a Western mindset, absolutely raised in a capitalistic corporate, even Silicon Valley mindset. And it's not to say that there aren't good things that we do too. It's that same healing work that we have to do. Sometimes I'll say like, in order to be a toxic taker, you have to be a toxic giver. And I was just recently owning the fact that I was allowing a certain amount of extractivism of myself, of my service. And that's really hard to say in some ways, right? The way that we're responsible is by not taking full ownership of how we are taking care of the energy and resources we have, even if it's given with a generous heart. Aristotle talked about eudaimonia, flourishing, and it often translates happiness, but I think flourishing is actually more appropriate. It's more to the idea of what allows me to flourish? What allows you to flourish? What allows companies in our world to flourish? I don't think it takes much. I don't think I have to make a big argument here to say that there's a lot of our Western practices that have not caused flourishing, that have actually caused harm and continue to cause harm, and that the mindset is what we need to take ownership of. Well, okay, what do we do? Well, it's doing a basic accounting, being accountable for how am I showing up? How am I playing into some of these things? You know, where does my money being stored? How am I exchanging with people? Whether it be money or my home or my time, those are all valuable resources and need to be respected in everyone. And when we haven't learned how to do that within ourselves and with others, we literally have to be humble and really be willing to learn and find out different ways. I think at least in a feminine mindset, we've been taught more to be toxic givers, self-sacrificing martyrs, even that'd be the way to get attention or even worse, manipulation, competition with one another. Toxic, all toxic, all toxic. You know, that none of that's sustainable. A lot of times people talk about narcissism and other things like that, or want to blame like corporadelic and stuff like that. Look, That's just an extension of what we've already been doing and creating. And we're trying to learn the tensions you mentioned. The tension is there for a good purpose because we're starting to feel that misalignment of what does our heart want and what are we actually doing, right? And so it's doing that inner work, like I'm doing it, you doing it, 
if we're all conscious and we all start leaning in and we all start going into more of that heart space, we'll start to become in better integrity and it will be a growth process. You know, Epic has ethical in the title, right? Ethical Psychedelic International Community. And sometimes I like to point out ethical doesn't mean perfect, but it's leaning into the fact that we're not perfect. It's accepting and realizing that we're all learning you know, and it's always a process. So the shorter answer is the same answer it was at the beginning. It's us. It's giving conscious integrity to everything that we do and noticing that there isn't anything that isn't a reflection of us. Yeah, beautifully said. You know, as I'm listening to you, I think what's dawning on me is the metaphor of the work itself. You know, as we're talking through the healing opportunities, certainly there's enormous healing that is happening and will continue to happen through psychedelic assisted therapy, through people getting exposed to these ceremonies and these medicines. There's this enormous opportunity for healing amongst the stakeholders and the parties involved in terms of our viewpoints of each other and our communication with each other. And what an incredible opportunity to heal our relationship with money through this process too, and potentially to be able to use it as more of a tool instead of a weapon against each other and ourselves. So I think with more awareness around all of that, like you said, hopefully there's just more and more opportunity to find a more centered and heartfelt path amongst all of it. Yeah, I think it's really a reflection of our disconnection. You know, a disconnection to nature, a disconnection to communities, different communities, ourselves, and we're being called back. Well, I know you and I, we've had a few juicy conversations this past year about the importance of female leadership in the psychedelic space. And, you know, clearly, as we're talking about femininity and female, I want to stress this isn't just a binary gender issue. There are plenty of people that identify with feminine qualities and masculine qualities. So I really do tend to look at it from that viewpoint. And I sense that you do too. But psychedelics is coming mainstream here. Women are stepping forward and taking hopefully bigger risks and opportunities to play a leadership role. Why do you feel that's so important? And how do women potentially lead the way when it comes to ethics and psychedelics? You always ask such rich questions that I really want to take, you know, into multiple parts. <laughs> but first, I want to reflect back that, yes, indeed, I see gender as a construct, right? That feminine and masculine are ways that anyone can identify with. You know, I identify as being bisexual, pansexual. My daughter is transgender. I try and be mindful and aware of how we're talking about it. But if we think about it in terms of Again, you're gonna gonna be tired of me going back to energy. But you think about the yin and the yang, you know, like it's everything is in balance. You know, we have both aspects within ourselves, the divine feminine and the divine masculine. And as we honor and respect the feminine in all forms, we are able to not just embrace that, but also our masculine aspect in a higher vibration because they've been equally affected in the sense of being seen as the one that's causing all the harm, right? I think women now are standing more in their own power. At least my mom's generation, in order to be able to quote unquote succeed, you had to embody the masculine aspects. You had to operate in a male way or what we saw as a gendered male way of being in the world. And and I saw that, you know, exemplified in so many powerful ways by my mom, some that I would identify with, some that I wouldn't. And now we see more men being willing to take more feminine roles and more embracing of all identities. And I think with that, we're willing to do a sort of, I would like to say a higher integrated feminine who doesn't shy away from her masculine, doesn't shy away from her feminine, embraces both. Those who would identify as a they, there are some cultures that see it as a gift to have the unity of energies being presented. I think as we shift that way, 
we heal so much in what's happened and the harms that happen. And we still talk about psychedelic ethics primarily in terms of sex abuse. And it's not to say that that isn't a real issue. It absolutely is. But I think as more women come forward, more women willing to come forward, willing to find new paths forward with men, with everyone and men with women too. And I think it's happening in the whole collective that we're willing to shift and open ourselves to all of us and create more conscious community working together, seeing us as not separate. It's like I was saying before about women seeing other women as competition, right? The idea of being there's only spot for one, one token female here. So all the other females have to go. And so I have to be the, the top B-I-T-C-H, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right? Uh, so I think we're healing. I think we're healing. I know we're not there yet. But I'm really encouraged and I definitely would encourage other women in this space to take on that leadership role because it does create more balance. It absolutely does. Yeah, I so appreciate everything you shared there, Sandra. And I know we talk a lot about the importance of women in leadership and psychedelics on this show. We're constantly circling back to that theme. But in no way does that mean that masculine contributions and energy isn't important. I just see that it's the most developed in our culture you know, masculine energy is alive and well in the Western culture in terms of our individualism and our competition and our corporatization. So my hope is just like you said, that there's just more and more room for feminine energy to find its place alongside of that. And just through the conversation we've had today with women or those that identify with women tend to embody those capacities for collaboration and compassion and heart-based interactions that has such an important role in the way this entire space is developing. It's unfortunate, I know I've fallen prey to that, that when women have had an opportunity to do well in business or leadership, unfortunately, we've tended to overdevelop our masculine qualities. So that's something I'm constantly working on. I would love to see more conversation around and more support around women stepping into leadership, but really being allowed and encouraged to be in that feminine space as they're in those leadership roles. I think that's a new frontier for a lot of us. It's going to be maybe one of the coolest and most innovative things about psychedelics. That was really modeled here in this space. I don't see it modeled in the typical corporate world very much. And who knows where that might take this whole journey. But yeah, lots of opportunity, I think, for development and hopefully more balance in the whole system. And I think it's worth mentioning that, and I'm not going to say this is true as a whole necessarily, but a lot of the traditional medicine keepers were women. And so the learning that we are aiming for in a Western mindset is literally reintegrating those aspects and honoring those aspects within ourselves that we have been cut off from. And even seeing how people like Maria Sabina or Anne Shulgin, may they both rest in peace, what they've contributed to this space in their feminine leadership ways. What can we learn from them and others? And taking the time to rediscover who those women were, what allowed them to succeed and what were the challenges that they faced? They're different challenges and there's a lot of grieving and pain to acknowledge. You know, not all the medicines made it. Not all the knowledge made it. But we can also relearn too. That's the gift of reconnecting to ourselves, to each other, to the trees, the plants, nature, elementals, honoring the land, honoring the ancestors, honoring our lineages, understanding ourselves and healing through that deeper compassion and seeing where we can move forward. You know, going places we haven't gone in our lifetime. I didn't get raised by a medicine woman or a medicine man. You know, but you know, if we're willing to recognize our inner wisdom 
the wisdom of others, the wisdom of each other, the wisdom of these traditions. We have real hope of healing ourselves and each other. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I hope we live up to that potential. I see it there in front of us in such a profound way, you know, this opportunity to truly develop ourselves and uphold the potential of humanity in this space. I know that's a tall order, but I really hope all of us continue to lean into that and find that in some way. I think that's the real opportunity that psychedelics provides. Well, before we wrap, I also want to talk a little bit about your work, because I know through all your involvement in ethics and your community contributions, you've been developing some wonderful workshops on ethical leadership. And also you founded EPIC, which again stands for Ethical Psychedelic International Community. So tell us more about both those projects, please. Oh, thank you. Well, first, I want to acknowledge all the co-founders of EPIC. It really is a community effort and a collaboration and learning and growing with each other in trust. A lot of us were all individually doing work in the space in and around ethics. Most of us not having ethics background. I happen to have that, but that's part of what I bring to the community. Our work, you know, it's evolving, it's growing too. And I really want to encourage that living mindset towards ethics versus it just being a, what I'd like to say, a dead code. <laughs> People like, I have an ethics code and they're like, I'm good. Or I did a consent form. I'm good. I'm like, no, it's a living thing. And, you know, are you alive? Yes. Okay, great. So <laughs> we realized a lot of us were already showing up and giving just casual consults, you know, having conversations, just helping people through challenging situations or community. And so we formalized that as EPIC. And so we do free consults right now, both one-on-one, -on -one, as well as do larger community conversations, trying to hold space for the larger community to work together with the idea of not creating a hierarchical structure, but more of that independent honoring and respecting the wisdom we each hold. And the idea that we don't want to repeat colonialism. If you really want true diversity, equity, and inclusion, it means you hold space for the difference. <laughs> and yes, you find agreement where we can, but having different communities, I think is essential and finding ways for communities, multiple communities and individuals to work together is essential, that decentralized approach. And it's a slower process. I will definitely say that if you plant the acorn, it doesn't instantly become an oak, right? But it has all the knowledge and wisdom of the oak. It'll find its way. So there's an element of trust and working together and nurturing each other and taking care of each other and learning as we go and owning our imperfections and our mistakes. And when the ruptures happen, we lean in for the repair. So we do the one-on-one -on -one consults. We do the community conversations. Recently, there was a few ethical disruptions in communities involving crisis, for instance, synthesis and others. And now we started setting up circles to support particular communities based on a particular need. So what a strong community gives you is that that help and that support and shows up. And so my ideal vision for Epic is that we start healing and building those bridges more consciously. And it's international in the sense that we, that we are an international group of people. It's obviously primarily first world privileged, you know, white dominant, which alone shows where we're at. That's showing that growth edge. So working on building those bridges in community wherever we can. And if we haven't built it yet, it's because we haven't earn that trust. So that's what Epic does. And that's the work related to that. You mentioned about the workshops. I'm now creating a psychedelic ethical mentorship program for ethical leaders in this space. So people who want to have that mindset towards 
an integral life, a life well lived, right? The, the idea that we all need to be leaders in our own lives and having that heart space towards psychedelic ethical leadership, the unique things that we need to know in the medicine space and have the privilege of being able to work with in this community and taking that to the next level, having those higher standards for ourselves and each other that we weren't taught in many ways and learning from each other. So that's the gist. Love it. Beautiful and such needed work right now, I think, as things are really coming online within the psychedelic world. What an opportunity for all of us to take time to really examine our own integrity with ourselves and others and hopefully find opportunities to grow in better directions. It's really beautiful. And Dr. Sandra, I know you are super active in the community at large, and probably a lot of people listening already know who you are through signal groups and all the things that you're involved in. But for those that don't, how can they find and follow you and potentially learn more about Epic or the workshops that you're offering? Sure. The site for Epic is epicpsychedelic.com. So that's how you can find more about Epic and also receive support from the community and get connected to greater community. That's part of the heart space. In terms of myself and my work, as I said, this is a growth area of learning how to receive better. <laughs> so you'll see a contrast between what I serve and what I'm creating for myself. And I'm working on it. But if you go to my, my website is sandradriesbach.com. So that, that gives you the challenge of spelling Driesbach. But you can go to my website for things there and connect with me there. My door is open to everyone. I do my best to try and build better community with everyone. You know, if you're listening, if you're here, that means that you already have a heart space that cares and you already are a leader and you're taking on that time for yourself and for your community, for your families, for your life. That is priceless. You know, uh, don't take that for granted. You are needed. You are valued. You are a heart leader and you are the one who's going to know what is the right fit for you and your community and no one else can tell you that. Beautiful. And we'll make sure that the links and the spelling of your name and everything else are right <laughs> next to this podcast. So it will be easy to find and follow you. And I highly encourage everybody to do so. And I know this conversation, we barely got started on what is a very, very important conversation in this space. So I hope this is just the first of other conversations we get to have with you on the show and potentially in our community. I really, really appreciate all the work you're doing. You're incredibly generous with your heart and expertise and have already made a huge contribution. So thanks for yeah. very much for being here on the show today. Really well, appreciate you're it. So very welcome. And, and as one closing thought, since we did originally meet up around SB51, now now it's SB58. So if you're in the state of California, you should check it out. <laughs> so you and advocating with you. And I know this is just the beginning of a long heart journey. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Celebrating Women in Psychedelics podcast. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We also have a free online community where you can meet and network with the guests of the podcast, as well as other women involved in psychedelics from around the world. To find out more, go to celebratingwomenpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Thanks so much and see you next time.